Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. In our previous program, we heard from veteran missionary to Ukraine, Chris Rue, as he explained how the Lord dealt with him about missions and directed him to the country of Ukraine. I saw Brother Rue's ministry presentation quite a few years back at a missions conference in Florida, and that presentation included some of the biblical research and missionary strategizing that he was doing at that time. That exposure was really timely for me because I'd been studying the missionary pattern in Acts and doing some reading on missionary and church planting methods. If you're interested in these kinds of considerations, I think today's program will be a blessing to you as we tackle Paul's missionary methods, the challenges and limitations to the indigenous principle, and different approaches to church planting efforts, along with the progress and future vision of Brother Rue's efforts in the Ukraine. With that introduction, here's part two of my conversation with missionary Christopher Rue. So let me let me try to get you to to weigh in on some methodological considerations on in terms of church planning because you've you've thought about a lot of these things and you've also uh, at least made an effort to hash some of these things out in practice and so you made a you made a conscious decision at some point in your ministry what you just described you were going to do more of a pioneering work rather than working with something that's established and trying to fix it. Uh, you, you are trying to, at least part of what you've done there is to establish and nurture a biblical church and, and with the objective of having that multiply right. in view of multiple churches and, the you know, missions, reproduction. Right. That's the objective. And, and I think some of this shifts over the course of um, modern missions history, the, the prevailing ideas of how it ought to, what it ought to look like. And I think maybe that changes too, some, somewhat depending on what sort of where you're coming from in terms of your denominational backing and your, and, and what kind of group you're associated with. There are certain ideas about how it should, how these church plants should develop, how the missionaries should go about the work. In that presentation that I saw you give a number of years ago, you pointed out some of the Pauline methods of missionary labor, and and maybe they they didn't precisely line up with some of the more prevalent modern conceptions of how mission work is supposed to develop. Uh, maybe our maybe some of the prevailing concepts of how it ought to be done are less representative of Pauline methods than. Than, than we find in, right. in the New Testament. And I'd love for you to trace some of that because I, I, it's, not, it's not that we have to develop necessarily. We don't want to put this whole process in a box. We want to, have, we want to, we want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God um, and, and, and let Him direct our methods, but we want to think critically in view of the, in view of the scriptural uh, plan and, mm-hmm. and, and the scriptural pattern that we find. So what do you think, just thinking in strictly biblical terms, what is the biblical role for the foreign missionary? How do you see the missionary relating to other church leadership in the New Testament? And how is that fleshed out in your efforts in the Ukraine? Okay, well, when David Trosclair asked me to teach that missions class, the first thing I did was I, I tried to contact as many mission boards as I could. 
and I just asked them for their handbooks, any kind of help, any kind of advice that they could send. So some, some very few replied, but some did. Uh, Maranatha Baptist Missions did, and I also got the um, handbook from Bible Baptist Mission. And I also was able to get in, get some tapes um, about, I was able to get some information about how to, um, how to teach, you know, missions class. And they recommended um, Melvin Hodges, the indigenous right. church by Melvin Hodges. Yes. And in these tapes by Dr. Ruckman, uh, he was talking about how to, how to teach a missions class. And, and he mentioned Melvin Hodges as well. And so I, I immediately ordered that book and I read it. I've read it many times. Mm. I've read I've read Melvin Hodges and then the, his his part two of that, <laughs> which is kind of um, interesting. I'm not familiar with part two. The whole part two is yeah, it's the kind of the natural. <laughs> okay, yeah, you try to do that and then see what happens, and then this is like okay, this is what happens whenever you try to a hard nose approach to Melvin Hodges. Mm-hmm. So um, it's the natural outcome of it. So. Yeah, you should get number two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I got all this information, and, and some of these mission boards were really, really hardline. You know, Melvin Hodges, the Indigenous Church principal, and it was you know they were telling we forbid our missionaries uh, to number one ever financially help. Uh, sometimes it was very extreme. Yes, uh, there was to be no financial help. As soon as possible, of course, uh, develop national leadership. But another part of it that I thought was pretty extreme was we are, we forbid any missionary that we find uh, calling themselves a pastor. Uh, that's forbidden. Almost you see once you're the pastor, you cease to be a missionary. That kind of mentality. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and so I was a young missionary, very impressionable, just trying to still in that mode of following orders. Being loyal, following orders, you know, that kind of a thing, and then trying to take what I was taught and what I knew, what little I knew, and was trying to practice that, put that into practice in our our uh, ministry there in Ukraine in a town called Razdelnaya. And and I would have to say that in the in it, as far as the advice that's handed out in those things in in, in organizing a church. It's pretty solid. It's it's not bad. It's it's good. It's got good and bad parts to it, though. It really does. It um, there there's some serious uh, there's some serious pluses, but there's also some serious negatives when it comes to prematurely putting a national in leadership, especially in a culture like ours in Ukraine where it's a very heavy-handed, it's like Stalin's a hero, you know. Ivan the Terrible, I mean, that's the kind of guy you need to be, you know. That's trying to take what Jesus Christ taught us and Paul as far as being an example. I mean, these guys, we, our people, our new converts wanted me to be, you know, like a tyrant. And so that's what they, their idea of a leader was that. And so um, I ran into some early problems trying to practice these these methods that what that were you know taught in these books because we're we're processing these methods with 
couple of hundred years of biblically influenced culture at our at our back. Right. That's, that's how we're that's how we're processing this stuff. Exactly. But then we're trying to export it in in places where that's not present. No, it's not, and that's I think that's you you just hit on you know kind of the crux to the whole problem is that you know the you read missions history and you read like Hudson Taylor and uh, what they were doing back then. There were mission societies, and the mission societies. Uh, it were mostly financed by both lo- local churches and just businessmen, mm-hmm. Christian businessmen. And then that led to that struggle between the mission society and the local church. And then there was that fight that had to ensue about who... who, who who's in charge. Yeah, who's in charge? Who's Authority. And, you know, if the local church presents a missionary candidate, uh, does the mission society have the right to say they don't qualify? Whenever there's no, you don't have a church. And so that led to that whole local church movement, which is a good thing. It is. But at the same time, I think that the missionaries during the era of the mission societies had a lot more liberty to operate um, along the lines of just being led by the Holy Spirit and not necessarily having to follow some type of a, of a cookie-cutter program, you know. Well, that's an interesting observation. You've got a lot more experience with this as it's developed over the years. Personally, looking at reflecting over the last few years, the time that I've been involved in missions, it seems to me that, that some of those cookie-cutters are more common with missions agencies and missions mission boards Right. Presently, whereas local churches and pastors oftentimes will give their missionaries a lot more liberty to get the direction yes. of the Lord. Yeah, so, you know, there it was a good thing, but at the same time, uh, moving towards the local church was, like I said, it was a good thing, but with the other mission boards that ensued under... Local churches, I think that they sometimes will will tie the missions missionaries' hands, and lead it leads to a lot of frustration. Is that pastors? Are those? Is that a pastor tying tying the missionaries' hands? No. Or pastors cooperating in the context of a board or an agency that develops I, policies and procedures yeah. that then become binding upon the missionary yes. and restrict him from actually having the liberty to do what he needs to yeah, do. Yeah, I agree with that. Field. I agree with that. Yeah, from as you know, from what I could tell. Sure, sure. But I was, you know, like I said, I was reading these missionary, these missions manuals that missionaries were required to read, agree with, sign, and then live by. On you know, in their ministries, and some, you know, I mean, they sent back pictures, and some, it seems, in the nineteen, you know, fifties, sixties, seventies, they were successful. You know, they were able to to operate within those. Um, parameters. They didn't do too bad. Uh, part two of Melvin Hodges's book, whenever you have a hyper um, approach to the indigenous church where you're, you know, you've got um, self-governing, self-propagating, and a self-supporting church, well then, and then you, you couple that with our, what I believe is correct, church, uh, local church 
doctrine where you have a pastor and a deacon. Okay, so then what happened in part two of Melvin Hodges's book is that these missionaries took part one, the indigenous church, put it into practice, and then taught them along with that theology 101, where the only real office in a local church is the pastor and the deacon, and all of a sudden, the missionary who led all of these men to Christ and discipled all these guys, now all of a sudden, uh, they have absolutely no voice, <laughs> no clout, and then all of a sudden, these pastors were actually demanding that the missionary send his support through the national church. I mean, yeah, so it caused problems, you know. Sure. And, and when we when we back up and, and try to, again, examine that in relation to or, or comparing that to the scriptural pattern, Paul was interested in seeing elders ordained in every city. Amen. He yeah. wanted to see, for, for lack that's of a better word, national pastors yes, that's the goal. take responsibility. But he's still, years later, writing letters... Yes. To sort problems that had arisen. So it's not as if, and I think that there's wisdom in that that's not limited to the apostolic era. An ongoing relationship between the missionary and the the local church, including its local leadership. Yes, I read uh, Missionary Methods, Paul's or Ours. Roland Allen. Roland Allen. Read, Read that. And that was a, a good read, and Melvin Hodges, and then I came in contact with um, Nevius, John Nevius, which John I think Nevius. is excellent on that subject. And um, so, yeah, uh, these guys had some ideas. I really, really appreciated Nevius. Yeah, that was uh, tremendous. It helped me a lot to try to make sense of it because, you know, here we are, or here we, there we were. Um, trying to put into practice these missionary methods in a culture. I mean, come on, communism hadn't even run its course yet whenever these other missionary methods had come about. Um, Communism was a relatively new thing, much less post-communism. And now we're into globalism. And so... uh, we tried and we did to, with some success put into place the those hardline indigenous church principles and then I began to look at the New Testament differently and I began to see that I think that Paul as we've discussed before Paul's three journeys represent three um, all of them equally biblical approaches but his he was he was developing and he was learning. And I think by the time he, he got through with his second missionary journey, that's when he made all the contacts with the, his Timothys and Apollos and Silas. And that's, these people became, you know, essential to the work that later ensued that just grew by quantum leaps, I think. And I, th- you know, and it, and Nevius does outline it very well. I think, I think Nevius, um, shows um, a kind of a pattern that is more New Testament than anything I've ever read before. And, and so, to some degree, we've been able to experience that pattern 
it's I've never yet been able to fully implement that pattern it's my heart <laughs> you know I would love to see that um, come to fruition in our ministry but it hasn't yet and um, so yeah I, I would say that Paul's first journey is very cookie cutter you mentioned lily pad type Yes, Lilypad, where, uh, where he, he's highly itinerant in that first right. missionary journey. He doesn't stay anywhere for very long at all. Right. You know, and he turns it over, and for better or for worse, he trusts the Lord with that congregation. But, you yes, know, he but really, them to all the he's Lord. doing, he's going to synagogues, and he's causing a church or a synagogue split, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he takes the converts from that, and then they, but they already have something to work with. You're right. You know, they, they do have a structure there. They already tithe. They already have an Old Testament that they've studied. And there's there's it's it's a little bit different today. So. Which which was wonderful. Right, the, right. That, that was, he capitalized on something that was available to him in the culture in which he's working right. so that he's got a foundation. But when he goes into Lystra and Iconium, it doesn't work exactly like that because he doesn't, right, right. He he doesn't gets, have the same yeah, you know, like the results. Right, right. It's not a strict pattern that worked everywhere. Right, right. And, and I think that that's part of the problem is that um, ministry is not cookie cutter. No. And, and it's not, not only is it not cookie cutter in terms of methods, it's not cookie cutter in terms of men because men are different too. Right. Yeah, and their gifts are different. Um, so, to try to sum it up, I think one guy said it best, and he said, "Brother, just do the best you can." That to me is so liberating. You know, you know, and really, it comes down to it all. Eventually, comes down to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and your. Um, as best as you can understand his leading way he leads you. And if there's a liberty that you can take to put into practice how the Spirit of God is leading, I think that that is by far the best missionary method that we could possibly have, rather than sometimes crippling um, old-fashioned type of methods, especially in this age where not much is indigenous anymore. All the countries, the, all the cultures are merging into one world culture. There, the, even languages are just English is is influencing everybody. It seems like worldwide, the corporations are everywhere now. Everybody's reading the same news media. They're watching the same movies. They're listening to the same music worldwide. And it's producing a one-world culture, and I think that that there there are always going to be some nationalism. Obviously, you know Matthew twenty-four: nations shall rise against nation. No matter how much this world tries to get together, they they, they get torn apart, which is interesting. But anyway, um, I just think that we should be asking the questions about how globalism is going to affect this hardline. Um, approach to the indigenous church. I think that the indigenous church is the end game. It's the goal. It's for a national church to have a national pastor be able to um, self-supporting, be self-propagating and self-governing. But how we get there, I think that there should be a lot more liberty. And maybe for a time, like we have had, we've had for a time not one man really ready to be a pastor, but uh, there were a couple of men 
and we're not a brethren church. We are definitely a Baptist church, but there was a time in our ministry where we had uh, not one, but two men, and neither one of them was ready to be really called pastor uh, at the time. And so you you can have these temporary transitional setups, I think, that will eventually lead to our goal, and that is to have, you know, a pastor with the deacons, and it be totally national. But I'm not against uh, a missionary calling himself a pastor. I'm not. I think that the bigger the the launching pad, the bigger the rocket you can send out. You know, like Ephesus, the Ephesus pattern. I think is a great pattern. I think that that is equally biblical, just like you know Paul's first missionary journey. But I think it, you just the missionary needs to have the time and the wisdom to see his field and to adapt himself uh, to whatever method is in the Word of God and just do the best he can, you know, to get there. And But I don't think that he needs to have a guilt complex. If God wants him to stay in one location, why do we persecute him? You know, because it's, so, it, there, it's not so much prevalent today as it was maybe 20 years ago. But, you know, if a missionary stayed in one location... Uh, for you know more than ten years, and it only you know planted one church. It was kind of like you know, what are you doing, brother? Well, have you ever felt the, the I, pressure? I, of those brother, it was <laughs> yes. It's stifling. Yeah. It's some of it's a lot of it's I think self inflicted. The more you read, the more sure. But m- most people we we maybe tend to think that everybody's over here you know in the back in the states wondering what methods we're using, and I don't think you know. <laughs> Brother, I think our, yeah, I think our bigger problem is trying to get pastors to read our prayer letters rather than <laughs> them trying to uh, force us into their the, right, yeah, right, to but, certain conceptions of church. I think that models. that's true today. It, it, but anyway, I think that there was a more hands-on approach twenty years or more ago than today. But yeah, well, you mentioned you mentioned Brother Castellall earlier in in our conversation, and and. He's. I've heard him describe. This may not be his terminology, his original terminology, but he's described the method that he ended up adapting, and and maybe somewhat similar culture to between Western Europe and Eastern Europe. It's not tribal. It's obviously we're not talking about something in the jungle. No. Uh, but he adapted more of what you would call a, what he calls a mothership kind of design, as opposed to a lily pad approach. Right where you're changing locations every term and trying to start a new church and turn it over to a national pastor. Exactly. Not to say, not to denigrate somebody that is that has attempted that with with or without whatever kind of success they may have seen, but it's not the only way to go about it. Exactly. And a man ought to have the liberty to find out what the Lord wants him to do, yeah. given looking critically at what the Scripture teaches, assessing his own strengths, Walking with God and taking a taking a hard look at what what his people that he's trying to minister to are like. What is the culture like, and what does it call for out of him in light of in light of the text of Scripture? Yes, I agree. You know, our mission field where we are in Ukraine is uh, is definitely the, the the bigger the launch pad, the better the bigger the rocket. I think that uh, you do need kind of a flagship church for the other smaller churches to look for because they they do it here in the states 
Of course. They do it. You know, other pastors that are struggling, they love to go to some preacher's conference or some sure. revival at a church that in, in whatever, for lack of a better term, are successful. You know what I mean? This is something to attain to, and it's, it's, it's a great thing. I see it practiced here in the, in the United States all the time. Um, and they have a great facility. A lot of people, mature Christians, the pastor's there. He's not really looking to go anyplace else. And those are, that's, a, that's a, just a, a, something that the, the body of Christ needs, and we need it on, on the mission field. And, you know, I'm not a Paul. I'm not single. I have, I have seven kids. You can't just uproot. I have a, <laughs> I have a government that tells me that I'm all, I'll give you a missionary visa, but this missionary visa only allows you to preach in the four walls of the church that invited you. Oh, wow. So, you know, what am I supposed to do? Sure. You know, so I, there's, there's other considerations. You know, we sometimes will look at, oh, you know, this missionary went to this tribe and the tribe said you can't do anything for, you know, he had to wait there for five years. Praise the Lord, I don't have that. But at the <laughs> same time, you know, I, I have been in conferences where uh, we, I don't know how many people, people have asked me, how many people have you led to Christ? And I think in those early years, we led the most to Christ. We've had such a turnover of people where we are because there's just no jobs. But I, I don't know. I would say, you know, maybe 500. But at the time, you know, I think that we had led maybe about 300 people to Christ. And that I could say were, you know, solid conversions or whatever. And and then there was a, a pretty well-known guy here in the States, and he went over and took a two-week trip to Ukraine. And, <laughs> and of course, he led 10,000 people to Christ. <laughs> And I'm in a missions conference with him, and, you know, it's just like, and I had people come up to me. He's like, well, how long have you been there? I said, well, I've been there 10 years. How many people have you led to Christ? I said, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I'd like to think, I think, about 300. He's like, well, he led 10,000, and you, you know. So it, it was, there's pressure, yeah. I guess, whenever there's expectations, and it can get, uh, it can really be a... Um, a hindrance, I think, to the mind of the missionary. Brother, I actually, I appreciate you mentioning that. And again, I don't want to be over much critical of the of the sincere evangelist that, that feels like there are open opportunities to him internationally. But this is why it is important, our, our emphasis on church planting yes. and on missionary sending because if the idea is is just to drop in for two weeks in a culture that you don't know, in a language that you do not know, working with people that you just met, and then counting noses from one crusade to an, to the to another to another to another, and then bail out, you have no idea who got converted. Right. You don't have That's the true. faintest idea what fruit has really been born. Uh, because the the commission that we've been given is not simply evangelism. Right. The job is undone when when people are saved, but but undiscipled and right. and and not trained in the Word of God. Which is which is why I do think it's a it's an appropriate emphasis to send men who can learn the language, learn the culture, spend their lives investing in men. Which yes. is how the Lord Jesus Christ did it. Amen. And and for us, 
establishing local churches because Amen. that's the hub for training believers. That's... And then that becomes the hub for reproduction, whereby you send out men to the regions beyond. That's the only means by which you can truly consolidate the results of evangelism is Absolutely. the local church. Absolutely. And without that, it's just, we call it Rambo missions. You know, you just go in and, and everybody, you know, but if there's not a local church that's there, it, it, it really is, um, I don't know. I, I heard one pastor say, he said, I almost think it's wrong. He said the word wrong to go somewhere and just lead a bunch of people to Christ and then leave them. And, you know, that's that's a tough thing to say because well, of the eternal results of people getting saved, but, but at the same time. Um, in so in anyway. my view, brother, the only way that that kind of evangelism, the, the short-term evangelism, crusade evangelism, it, the mm-hmm. only way that that has legitimacy, in my view, now this is my opinion, is when those and there are some men that are that are gifted in preaching in that sort of context right. mm-hmm. and communicating the gospel in that way. The only way, in my view, that that has legitimacy is when those kinds of men work with established preachers, missionaries, and local churches. Yes. Because you do yes. need some way to feed those new believers, those new converts, if indeed people are being converted. You've got to have somewhere to send them. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Don Sturtz does a good job of working like that. That's exactly. And, and there the are some guys that, that are doing it effectively. It's not. It's. It's not. It's not wrong to take a short-term right. mission trip and emphasize evangelism, but there is a wrong way to do it, in my view. Yeah. Well, going back to what you were talking about or asking about the uh, Pauline approach, it does look like Paul by his second missionary journey he had he trained men whom he led to Christ they were with him all you know sometimes constantly sometimes they just were sent out to do things um, but definitely Timothy Titus um, Silas they were extensions of his ministry yes. they were not local pastors they were always moving amongst the local pastors, sometimes filling in temporarily as That's right. as a pastor. But um, it was all working together as some type of a, of a team. And then the goal was to get a local pastor there with boots on the ground, and they oversaw him. They watched and helped him grow, helped him solve problems. And then at some point in time, like in Titus, he, he appointed them to go, you know, ordain elders in every city. And so I can see that there's like that um, pyramid scheme uh, flow chart where Paul would just put him as the minist- missionary, which I know it was at an apostolic age, but there are, you know, like, like you said, there's things that, that there. carry over. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you, if you can't use the Bible, I mean, if you're just going to say that this is a different dispensation and we can't use the book of Acts, well, then what do you, do? What do we, what do you use? I mean, you know, is the Bible our final authority or not in all matters of faith and practice? Right. So, uh, yeah, so Paul would be, you know, in that box at the top of the flow chart, and then you could draw a line and have Timothy and Titus and maybe uh, Silas or Sylvanus as extensions, and uh, and then uh, under them would be the guys who were more local, and they had uh, house churches like Philemon, I think Nymphus, Jason, 
uh, Crispus was one. Uh, who else? Priscilla and Aquila. Sure. And even they seem to be transient to a degree. Right. Um, he met up with them in his mission in his second missionary journey, and then I think I believe right they're mentioned again later in a different city. So. Uh, so yeah, you had, uh, everybody kind of working together and, and it's, it's close of what we have here in the States with our pattern of, uh, this missionary enterprise that we have now with all these local churches in the United States sending out missionaries. Uh, but once missionaries hit the ground, their boots hit the ground, um, man, it would, it could take you years to try to try to duplicate something like that. And like I said, we came very, very close. And all I know is that the closer you get to that kind of a pattern, it seems like unsheeted hell shows up. Mm. You want to fight hell? I mean, you, yeah, try to do that. And uh, wow, man, did the devil ever fight. And uh, men got picked out and picked off. I mean, yeah, it was it was bad. So... Um, so I think that for, for me and for our mission field, the Ephesus pattern is by far the most applicable. So, so what I, what I observed and actually to, to solidify this in my mind, scripturally, that presentation that I saw you give in Florida years ago was a big help in, in trying to, in trying to take a look at this because I've recently read Roland Allen's uh, yeah. Missionary Method, St. Paul's or Ours. But the question is, St. Paul's in Acts 13 and 14 or mm-hmm. St. Paul's in Acts 16 and 17? Yeah, exactly. Or St. Paul's Amen. in Acts 18 19, I am 20? so glad that this has right. actually found a voice and it's getting out there. So yeah. um, what, what I observed, and again, I, I, it is not my desire to put the methods in a box because right. I think that we have to be sensitive. And I think Paul is trying to be sensitive. Yes. He had to start somewhere, and he didn't know everything when he started. Right, right. right. Amen. And so it, initially, Acts 13, 14, he, he is moving a lot. He's moving rapidly. Yes. He's evangelizing. He's immediately gathering these elders. He's ordaining them and, and laying hands on them yes. and commending them to the Lord. Many of those churches you don't hear about again, unless, unless, depending on how you understand the the, the Galatia region, um, and I it think could, it was. I think it was. It could be that that the churches that he established in Acts fourteen are some of the churches that he's addressing in the book of Galatians, yes. and they were a mess. They had major doctrinal yes. problems, like to the point of of messing up the gospel. Yes. By the time by the time he commences his second missionary journey, he's building a team. So it was Paul and Barnabas to start with. Right. Now it's Paul and Silas, but they but now they've got Luke in tow. They well they right. stop and pick up yeah. Timothy. Yes, yes, yes. And now they've got Luke in tow. And there's a growing team. And by the time you get to Acts chapter and by the way, when he comes to Corinth, he stays for a year and a half. Right. This right. is longer than he has spent any other yeah. single place. Yes. Yeah. By the time you come to Acts chapter 20, Acts 19 and 20, right. on his third missionary journey, when you pick up your Bible in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, and they're accompanying him into Asia, Sopater, of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius, yeah. and of Derby and Timotheus, of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried, before, uh, before tarried for us at Troas. Yeah. And Luke's holding the pen. He's on the ship too. Right. Yeah. You've got this growing team 
And basically, Paul is sending these guys to the places where there are needs, maybe to yeah. do pioneering work, but also to do support work. Well, I think that that gathering was mostly for that collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. They needed a gathering point for them to bring all this money to give to Paul. But in any case, Timothy's in the list. Yes. And he's Paul. Yeah. Paul, Paul left Thessalonica on the second missionary journey because of persecution. Right. But he turned around and sent Timothy, sent Timothy back. right back. Right. So the question is, would would our local church support Timothy as a missionary? <laughs> you know, it's well, yeah. he's not a church planter. Well, wait a second. He right. yes, he's helping a church get established. Yeah. He's just not the guy that and that, that gets to a, an important part. Well, if if a church will support a helper. Would it would it be against us using missionary support to help a national helper? Again, you can't yeah. put those things in a box. You can't. Right. You, you, it, we sometimes pigeonhole ourselves because with with these convictions that we develop yes. that are not always strictly yeah. scriptural. But in any case, whatever we understand this team to be in Acts chapter nineteen, Paul Paul ends up spending three years in Asia. Yes, and that's the. My point is this, with each subsequent missionary journey, he stays in one location longer each time. Right. Now, how would he have done it on the fourth missionary journey, very the fifth point. missionary yeah. journey? I don't know. We don't have that record right. in Scripture. But but the point that I'm making is that he did. He recognized that he could be more effective subsequently if he stayed in one place for a longer period of time, training men. emphasize training men at the school of yeah. Tyrannus in, yes. in Acts chapter 19. And from there, all of Asia was, was yes. evangelized. And and to the point, I was thinking about this the other day. I think it might have even been during this conference. that The thought occurred to me is that when you get to the book of Revelation, I mean, I always, I've always thought and taught um, for, you know, at least for many years that those seven churches in the book of Revelation were actually the outgrowth of what happened in Ephesus. Ephesus is yes. at, the, at, the, at the top. And I just thought, well, if you had to pick and choose which, which p- pattern for the last days, since the book of Revelation is dealing with the last days, I would have to say Ephesus would be it. Sure. You know, I think that maybe the Lord just put that in there for a, a little <laughs> bit of light, you know. That, that thought did occur to me. Um, so yeah, brother, those are all excellent, excellent. You, you've, you've, you've put it into words, I think much better than I have, um, as to what we should be thinking about and how we should apply, um, missionary methods. I did read a book called, uh, Baptist Pioneer Preachers in Tennessee, I'm not familiar with it. And because I was, I've always tried to figure out how did they do it in the United States? You know, what happened here? Because I travel across the country, I see these old church buildings and they're just one room church houses. You know, I'm like, there's, there's, what do you mean? There's not 50 separate rooms or whatever for this, that, and the other. There's not 10 more rooms for a, a Sunday school program. And, I thought it seems to me that they, with one room in a church, did a much better job of training their kids than we are. Wow, yeah. You know, and how did they do it? And I started asking those questions, and I started asking old, old saints in churches, 
what was it like with you growing up? And then I found that book about pioneer Baptist uh, preachers in Tennessee. And they said that actually they different local churches back then would would partner together. They saw the need of there's so many towns without a church that they would actually gather some money together. They would uh, not employ, but they would support a local man somewhere who maybe during his off season as a farmer would uh, run kind of an itinerant uh, type of a, a route and he would pastor, you know, four churches at the same time. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, you could have a so-called board, uh, a mission board for the national preachers, an agency through which they could also have some type of encouragement because, I mean, I remember the Lord dealing with me about being a missionary. And then the first thing is, well, okay, well, how am I going to live? And I never really even knew how this whole thing works very well. I couldn't even imagine. At the time, I didn't think that I, I mean, somebody actually paying me to do this. <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect it. You know, I was trying to figure it out without it at the time. And so... um my my thoughts and something that I'm praying about and I'm hoping that will come if the Lord will do this is that in the in our mission field I would like to start a a sending agency through which we can <clears throat> get more churches started in Ukraine uh, not not necessarily raising full support for these national pastors but something that would at least uh, subsidize the expenses that you incur because they are so poor anyway. You know, trying to have them out of their own pockets to be indigenous and out of their pockets, uh, try to rent a building or buy hymnals or get tracks or, you know, buy seating or whatever else. Um, that's what we would like to do. I'd like to kind of like I said, the Ephesus model, stay in one place, strengthen that church, let that be more of a of um, something where people can come to and have, you know, your conferences and your your revival meetings, but also have a, a sending agency called a church planters mission board. Call it whatever you want; it doesn't matter to me. But it's something that would, like we have here, it would um, it would outline some expectations. There would be some accountability, because that's what they had in Tennessee, for example. Way back when, these churches would uh, say, okay, this is what is expected. And you guys would have to give an account. One guy actually gave an account of what he did over the course of like a month. Brother, I mean, it, it was amazing. Beating the bushes, huh? Really working Yeah. Hard. How many Bible studies he did, how many people he could, you know, baptize, you know, how many times the Lord's Supper, this guy at the end of every month would have to give an account to these uh these you know supporters of his and they they got the job done you know so when you envision an agency of, of this nature this would be this would be based on the voluntary participation of local churches yes absolutely yes so in, you in still have that local church piece it was it would be under the church. local church absolutely right. Right. yes absolutely well 
to, to relate this to, to a previous observation in the course of this conversation, you know, this thing of supporting uh, national preachers becomes rather polarized in, in, in our American conceptions. Mm-hmm. In, on the one hand, it's anathema. And, and there are some good reasons that some guys take that position because they've seen it so grossly abused right, in so many right. cases where, where hirelings, where, where you inject this foreign money, it's the things that Alan and Nevius observed in right. a previous generation right, right. that ruined that the ruined, foreign presence, yes. uh, that, that, that ruined the indigenous. Hindered evangelism. It, it really did yeah, because, yeah. because it, base, it, it monetized something that shouldn't be monetized. Exactly. Yeah, it created right. a mercenary spirit and, a hi, and, right. and developed this hireling attitude among so many of these People that are they're playing the system basically, exactly. um, yeah. and then on the other hand, you have you have folks that feel like, well, it's just crazy to send an American to a foreign field when I can take the same amount of money and support dozens of national preachers yeah. for yeah. what I could support an American right. missionary. So yeah. I'm not going to support American missionaries. That ship is sailed. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's dump it into national preachers. Right. So you've got these two polar opposites. And I've actually interacted with this subject from both angles on the on the podcast because I, I'm, I'm I want to think about I don't want to I don't want to just take a bill of goods I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole myself in the way of thinking of this, but part of the problem with the let's support the nationals and let's take let's take our American money and and multiply its usefulness on the foreign field is that it's got the same kind of sensational Rambo approach uh, to the evangelism that you described earlier, mm-hmm. where you've got these guys going in, reporting these insane yes. numbers of converts. And the same thing is happening with money yes. because we don't have, in some cases, we don't have trustworthy local church leadership on the ground in these fields that actually know how things work, which is mm-hmm. why if it's going to work, you are a pastor in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, you know the you know the culture, or or you have been a pastor in the Ukraine. Well, you know the people. Social media is really, you know, now you've got nationals soliciting churches soliciting and believers directly without the yeah without the help of a, of a missionary or the import of a missionary, and it's uh, yeah it's gotten so bad that I don't know what to do. You know, with because uh, I have guys contacting. You know, I, I got on to um, Facebook way back when another missionary had it, it was targeting my church members using Facebook, and I just wanted to keep an eye on what was going on, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I joined it to begin with. And then, and then, and then I, I was on there for a while. I'm not really, I'm not on there. I mean, I still have this profile there, but I don't, I'm not on it. You know. But these other guys who figured out now with with social media and broadcasts and churches, and now that people are actually hearing uh, and and learning the numbers behind some of these love offerings, some of these missionaries are are, are shysters. I mean, these yeah. guys are con men, <laughs> and and I and I know about them. I don't go on them. It's not my purpose in life to expose this dark side of missions. But social media with some of these national pastors, these guys are, they're like, well, yeah, I can be a missionary. It's just like those early days. I had somebody show up at one of our evangelistic services. These two young men, they came up to me and it was translated to me through uh, Taras Alexandrovich. And he says, 
with these two men standing before me, and they said, you know, how much would you pay us to spread your propaganda? Wow. <laughs> they said it just like that. We, we will do as much work as you want us to do, and we want to know how much are you willing to pay us. Brother, it's terrible to say, but there's some sucker in America that would have given them, <laughs> given those people Maybe, money prob- by, yeah. by a and they would. Something. I'll tell you what, they would do a better job than I do of, of giving a presentation, that's for sure. I'm stuck in the dark ages, I guess, with PowerPoint. These guys have all this tech savvy, and yeah, they would do a good job. Well, if there were if there were a proper way to do it, I, I, I'm just suggesting that it would it would have to be approached the same way that you have short term mission trips and evangelistic uh, efforts on foreign fields by Americans. You got to work through missionaries that are in the know, absolutely, and local churches that are yes. established that are going to do things biblically. Yeah, I think that, that that is, and that's totally Pauline. Paul would write letters of recommendation. He would tell them, you know, hey, right. this guy has the right. same spirit, same doctrine, receive Timothy, you know, just re- receive them as you received us. And so those those that was a New Testament practice, I think, because even back then they were already experiencing absolutely. a lot of fraud. And things like that. So, so brother Rue, now you've been you've been on the mission field for twenty seven, twenty eight years. Uh, right, is that right? Mm-hmm. And um, you're you're on a furlough. You're you're in a something of a transition, if I if I recall That's right. right. Mm-hmm. So, briefly, what what's your going forward? What is your vision for the future of your efforts there in the Ukraine and church planning, training men, etc.? Well, we. I believe the Lord led us to live out in the where we, we where we have lived for these past fourteen years, and it has been it's been hard, it's been difficult, it's not convenient, and it's been good to raise our family, and it's been good for the ministry. Uh, it's hardened us, I believe, quite a bit. Um, and but I think that our work there. Is as it's 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 done as far as that goes. You know, the only thing I want to do more is just to help them with the building program, so that we, along with other missionaries that are still trying to get other work started, will have some type of a, a place to go to see a more mature model, if you will, and a facility, because there's a group of mature Christians. They love God. They worship the Lord. They sing loud. I mean, they're a lively bunch, buddy. They witness all the time. Um, They give. They give sacrificially. I mean, we've got people that work extra jobs just to be able to support missionaries. And our emphasis is all on the local missionaries. We want to get more churches started in Ukraine. Uh, And... Because we had problems, guys were called to a foreign country, but there's just not enough churches to, to support them. And so that's where my heart and vision is. And so I think that we've done, we've learned, I guess, what we needed to learn. And we've done what we've needed to do there. And the Lord put scripture on my heart a long time ago about starting a work in Odessa. And I was ready to start it, you know, good night, over 15 years ago. And I thought we were going to. Actually, we were in the we, we actually were in the process of turning our work over to a national. This was supposed to be a, a yay, we reached this pinnacle. But when we prayed about it, the church body, 
the nationals and even myself, we were like, yeah, this is the right thing to do according to these methods. But the Holy Spirit was saying, no. This, You're much better off to mind the Holy Spirit about these things, aren't you? And so we, we did. I mean, it, you know, it could have been like this great moment to put in a prayer letter and, and, and have a feather in my cap of, you know, we turned the church over to national leadership. I mean, that's a, quite a feather nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, those are buzzwords, you know, in, in, in missions conferences. That's And so um, we backed up. And for the sake of being able to uh, start a church planters institute, which we did, and then uh, have another Bible institute, I stayed put. And um, so I believe now it's time, it's time to, to go because the Lord did provide the man. Amen. And we almost made a mistake by rushing national leadership. It was the wrong guy, and it would have been bad. So, you know, you do have to wait on the Lord for, 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 for the ban. And I, like we've talked before, we found out in our mission field that it's the second generation guys. It's, I, it just first generation leaders always seem to be disastrous. And, 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 I, and I think that that's, I used to think that was only our mission field. And then not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to some pretty well-known pastors and who had, had a lot of hands-on, uh, you know, work in mission fields. And they were just like, it was a disaster. And so I was both, I wasn't encouraged, but I was just, um, I was like, okay, well, at least we're not the only ones, <laughs> you know. So I plan to go to Odessa. Uh, I'm trying to take into account time, money, how much life I have left, how much energy I want to be able to give our last years to the Lord on the mission field and living where we live. Um, it's really, really hard. And so, like I said, I've got scripture a long time ago. And what we want to do is hopefully in a more fruitful way with what we've learned, um, be able to be in this city of a million people and still uh, I would like to get the Institute going more on a full-time, not just kind of let's get this batch of guys over the course of three years and then have a, a, a you know, a, a rest period. But um, I hope it's an ongoing thing. Because with our ministry, that seems to be the most fruitful. It's just training men and sending them out, helping them however we can, financially, you know, just prayerfully doing whatever we can to help them, to, to support them. And then um, I'd like to, you know, just keep going until the Lord comes back, the Lord calls me home or just whatever. Amen. But yeah, we plan to go to Odessa, um, try to be a little bit more smart and more efficient with our time. Because right now for me to just go to the bank, or to go to the grocery store takes a day out of my week, a whole day. I mean, it's early morning, and then you're just rushing, rushing, rushing to get in, get out, and get back home. And it just, it's the wear and tear is, is uh, you know, it's, it's added up over the years. So sure. we, we want to be, wherever we minister, we want to live there. But we have a high turnover of youth that keep going to Odessa, and then we lose them. And uh, more and more people are moving to Odessa for jobs. And so I've got people that have just been saying, when are you going to start a church here? We already have a church registered, 
We already have people waiting for us. I already have, you know, facilities to, to use. Wow. It's just we've been waiting for God's timing in this. And so I'm really excited. I'm excited. And I'm for just you. trying to get my health back a little bit, trying to get, you know, prepared and just uh, go go like gangbusters, you know. Amen. Well, brother, it's the it's been a pleasure talking with you about about these things. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to to tell the supernatural story of those early days of God blending yeah, you there. Yeah. It what a joy. Yeah. To see something that's so clearly of the Lord. Yeah, he he he, he worked it out to where he, I just I can't doubt, you know, <laughs> are you in this yeah. or not, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, but the Lord the Lord used you um over the entirety of those years and um, thankful for uh, really appreciate you thinking critically about about how how to get the job done and, and provoking you've provoked me to think about these things in scriptural terms and and I'm thankful for that I think I don't think we have enough of that that kind of uh, serious yeah. consideration about the biblical manner of, of do, going about going about things yeah we're gonna you're gonna hit as a missionary so many situations questions and problems that you're not going to have one real scripture to just bam here it is sure. and um, it will be uh, brother Donovan actually worded this perfectly I talked to his missions class and just put a bunch of stuff out there and I, I ramble a lot and I'll put a bunch of words to it but he summed it up he said what I said but only he summed it up much better than me and he said um he said, yeah, your, your walk with Jesus Christ will be the determining factor in, the, in how you make these decisions. Because there's not going to be uh, a verse that you can point to, but it will be you, you in fellowship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit leading you, which, which will determine you know, whether it was right or not. And so, so yeah... I, I, you can't emphasize. It always goes back to the personal relationship. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for sitting down for the conversation, brother. Thank I appreciate you, brother. Your time. Yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing here. This is a good thing. Well, we sure covered a lot of ground in this conversation, and I think the subject matter is needful. This podcast exists not only to provoke interest and involvement in world missions, but thoughtful and strategic involvement, taking a hard look at what we're doing and how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. But it is most appropriate that we've ended the conversation where we have. It really does come down to our personal relationship with God and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm grateful that you've chosen to listen, and I do hope the program has been a help to you. It was interesting to me that some of the books that Brother Rue referenced in this conversation were previously referenced in a recent podcast on suggested reading. I might recommend that to you if you've not listened to it. And perhaps the other program that's been most helpful to me on the subject of indigenous church planting methods was my conversation with Keith Stensis, missionary to Uganda. If you found today's program to be helpful, you can subscribe to this podcast on a variety of different podcasting applications. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.